Welcome to the Meeple Syrup Show, where designers discuss design. We're on episode 74, going with the flow, or the workflow, we like to say. I'm here with my co-host, Sen Fong Lim, and sadly, we do not have a third host. Our bearded Meeple, Tyler Anderson, was not able to make it last minute, so you're stuck with just the two of us. How you doing, Sen? Hey, man, I'm fine. Uh... Still under the weather a little bit. Mexico kind of drained me, I guess. I don't know. But I'm here uh, in body and spirit and soul and mind and all the good stuff. So um, you might hear me sniffling a bit, but that's about it. Uh, it's, it's really weird not having a third person here. Usually somebody else that has a beard other than yourself is by our side. So it's a little awkward, but I'm okay with it. So t- t- tell me, how did your game get on Big Brother Canada? That that's is just right. odd and bizarre. Yes, so tonight was the premiere of Big Brother Canada, and during the first episode, there was a a product placement of uh, the game that I co-designed with Steven Sauer called The Walled City. It is uh, published by Mercury Games, and actually the the people at um, Big Brother Canada contacted Mercury Games and and said... Yeah, would you be interested? Um, I guess they must have like networked with them at some type of an event. And yeah, there you can see it. La Vida uh, in the background, I guess, is a big Walled City fan. I guess. Or, or not, and really that's just uh, the way TV shows go, and they just make it look like that. If you look online on their website and watch like the full bio video, it even shows her playing the game. She's not really playing the game correctly, but they did a pretty good job of making the game look set up pretty close to real. So someone read the rules. That's awesome, actually. I, I think it's funny. So, uh, yeah, I'm super excited. I think it's just super fun. And if it leads to a few people discovering the game, awesome. If not, it's just kind of cool that uh, a Canadian published, Canadian designed, Canadian art game was featured on Big Brother Canada. So lots of Canada love right there. Uh, maybe they need to meet their Canada quota for, uh, I don't know, some Canadian rules of media, and so they just scratched off a whole bunch at the same time right there. But yeah, so that uh, that is uh, some of the fun from tonight, but what have you been playing lately, Sam? What, what games have you been playing or working on in the last week? Oh, working on, um, working on specifically, I guess we've been working on a game, Jesse and I are working on a game that uh, Nate... Murray uh, from IDW has sort of put into my head. He said, man, I don't want to work on an IP game with miniatures ever again, is what he said. But <laughs> I'd work on a game that had miniatures, is what he said. So I said, hey, I have an idea that we've been kicking around for a while. Nice. And so we're going to be um, pitching it, I hope, to IDW within the next couple of days. Just, you know, see what's out there. Nice. So well, working on that a bit and then putting together some other stuff, just scenarios for Outlander. Uh, Jay's been working on uh, Law of the Jungle <clears throat> and some other games that we're going to be pitching to Upper Deck. So cool. just stuff, yeah. Lots of lots of work still continuing. So Upper Deck went well? Because that was a few weeks back that we heard about you were going to show them some stuff. So it sounds like they, they were interested. Oh, yeah, they're really interested in, in working on stuff, just whatever, right now. Uh, no necessary properties. Cool. Well, being mentioned, but yeah. Yeah, well, it's funny you should mention Nate, because also today I had a Skype with John Gilmore, Nate and I, because uh, John and I are working on um, a 54-card co-op game uh, where it would, uh, we can't talk about the license or anything, but it's tied to a specific license, and we're pretty psyched about it. And uh, so we finally um, showed the results to Nate, and he was super pumped about it. So I think we're a go. We'll just got to figure out some of the, the paperwork and jazz, but um, he's going to be playing it this weekend. But we were really hopeful on this, and... Uh, seems to be really working well. So I'll have, I'll have to send you the print and play files. Cause yeah, it's cool. It's one of the easiest things to send is 54 cards. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that, um, other than that, I mean, I've just, actually, I've been working on a, a kid's game. I'm helping develop for a designer in Florida a game called Alpha Gems. And it's kind of, uh, 
kind of a magic Yu-Gi-Oh meets Scrabble. All right, then. So it's so a word game? It's a word game, and the idea is to have a little bit of learning mixed in with fun so that, you know, it could be um, kind of something that mum blogs slash, you know, kids would enjoy slash, you know, maybe a little more mass market. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so I'm helping develop that. So I've uh, just started digging into the development of that game uh, by a new designer. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's really fun. So that's uh, another game I'm just working on on the side. Yeah, and, cool. uh gathering some playtest results and going from there. So, Wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So because we don't have a third person here, we're not going to waste too much time before we get into our oh, guests. So I'm going to bring get, our guests right in right now. Let's get them in here. So the first person coming in live to the show right now is Mr. Jeff Siadek, and we also have Joey Vigor with us as well. So welcome to the show, Joey and Jeff. How are you guys doing? Jeff Siadek, happy to be here. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. So... Um, currently, Jeff has a Kickstarter running, and why don't we just spend the first couple seconds just talking about that. I'm going to bring it up on the screen here. Jeff, tell us about Battle Stations. Battle Stations is the game of heroic starship adventure where the players are characters on board a crew, uh, crewing a ship. So it's sort of like a role-playing game because you've got continuing characters that go on and on, and awesome. it's sort of like a board game because you've got mis- specific mission objectives. So each game plays like a one-off, but it strings together like a campaign. And the the real important design feature of it is that the ships move around on the hex map at the same time that the characters move around on the starship. So it integrates ship-to-ship and boarding action simultaneously. So cool. So cool. And uh, obviously we have Joey here as well, who's a designer of other games, but he is also tied to this Kickstarter, right? Yeah, so I'm the producer of the project. I was a fan of the game. Um, I actually I bought a copy... Uh, fairly soon after meeting Jeff, um, not even realizing that Jeff was the designer of the game, and I like it was like crazy because he was telling me I met him at a at a gaming just like a get together, and he was telling me all these games he designed that I knew Lifeboat, but I was like I think Battle Stations I think I own that, so I went back home opened it up because I never opened it, and I was like oh the art is so you know. You know, 1995 or whatever. You know, it actually came out in 2004. Um, but it's a great game, and it it's the only game that I know I could think of that I had ever really played. That it has that kind of Star Trek feel where you're, you know, there everyone's running around the ship screaming at each other, but then also then it cuts to the exterior of the ship and you see the ships fighting. Yeah. And it it was like it's hard to explain what that's. It's like a revelation. It's like I can't believe this has never been done before. Right. And in fact. It, it had been done as video games since, but uh, no one's really dialed it in right, um, except for Jeff. So when he asked me to be a part of the uh, the second edition, I jumped at the chance. It's been awesome, and we've been working together, making miniatures and, and working on rules and, and updated uh, components. And make it's just been a really, really great experience for me. Absolutely. Well, it's been an incredible uh, Kickstarter, very successful uh, lots of stretch goals, people. You gotta check it out. There's only a few hours left, uh, so if you're if you haven't got it yet, um, you know, and it's still on Kickstarter and you're watching this, uh, pledge quick or get it when it comes to retail stores because uh, you might have missed out on the Kickstarter, but you can still get the game when it comes out. And we're gonna talk a little more about workflow and the whole idea of uh, how long it takes for a game to come out. But um, did. Battle Stations Second Edition uh, on Kickstarter has 22 hours left, and uh, we just uh, want to encourage people to check it out. I'm curious uh, if uh, Jeff, if you could tell us a little bit about where the origins of the design of Battle Stations came from. Where what what made you make that game? Well, it it dates back, of course, to being a fan of Star Trek in the 70s when I was just a kid and loving it and then playing Starfleet Battles later on in the 80s, and uh, various other games. It's, it's sort of, uh, I played uh, the uh, Space Hulk, and it's, wow, we're on a starship. Oh, but it's just the starship, it's just a dungeon in space, and so that was kind of a, a letdown. And so every time I came at it from one end or the other, it, it didn't quite make sense. Either it was too much of a role-playing game. In role-playing games, when you have something starshipy to do, you roll dice and fudge it. Whereas in board games, you felt like, uh, in Starfleet Battles, does a great job of it. I love that game. 
but you feel like you're playing a, a board game. You don't feel like you're sitting on the helm and, oh, my God, the shot just ripped through and got me. It's more of, oh, that shot took out my one of my many, many ships. So uh, anyway, I bounced around on that in various uh, various formats, and I was running a role-playing game. The, the players finally got a ship, and I didn't have ship rules, so I just killed the campaign. Then when my brother made a uh, – uh, he made a discovery when he was playing a video game, a first-person shooter video game, he said, wouldn't it be great to be able to shoot at the starship in the first-person shooter? Let's make it. Let's make a starship game where you can do that in a in a video game. And it didn't take us long to realize we weren't going to find the millions of dollars it takes to make a starship uh, video game. Right. So, so uh, we put that aside. And then when I went to make my next board game, I realized, oh, I've got to make a board game that integrates the ship to ship and the boarding action simultaneously. So it, it it was a long struggle coming. And and everybody, not everybody that that sees the game, but everybody that sees the game that knows it and loves it just instantly says, oh yeah, that's right, you got to have a starship on the hex map and the characters moving around on the starship. And the people that don't that don't get that, they aren't into the game and that's okay. Yep. Yeah, so this game suits a, you know, suits a very specific clientele, um, but the people that get it will enjoy it because they get the difference between the micro view and the macro view of right. the spaceship versus what's on the spaceship. Very cool. So who has all contributed to this, Joey, in terms of art, in terms of design, in terms of the modeling? How many people are involved in bringing a product like this to Kickstarter? So the, I, this, you're going to sort of get a, a little... Uh, you, you get to uh, peek behind the curtain a little bit here. This is uh, this is a much more rinky-dink operation than, uh, than you might want to even know. It's kind of like you, you don't want to know what goes inside the sausage. But uh, <laughs> I, I certainly do. Okay, so uh, so Jeff is the designer, um, and uh, and Jeff worked early on with his brother on the on some of the design elements. But but really, this has been sort of Jeff's conception for the last uh, fifteen years, really, as far as the mechanics go. And uh, and so the game was essentially designed um, when I got involved. Jeff originally said, "Hey, I'm a fan of your game Chaosmos. Do you want to design a mission for me for the next uh, edition of Battle Stations?" And I was like, "Oh, this is great. Now I have to learn how to how to, you know, actually write missions for for a totally different game system." Um, so, as far as the design goes, that's Jeff, and I've been contributing missions. Um, I've also done animations. I've done some 3D modeling. Um, I uh, did most of a lot of the uh, art direction for um, quite a bit of the art on the page, and then our friend Dan Blanchett is the art director for the book and the rule book, and he's also uh, contributed a lot of work on the page. Um, and then we have a couple assorted freelance artists um, that you know we're not we don't know in in real life necessarily. Um, uh, one of my artists from Chaosmos, William Toombs, has done most of the miniatures for us, and we've had a couple freelancers. But I mean, really, the truth is, ultimately, this has been. Jeff doing the uh, the game design and interacting with the backers, and I've been doing the, the Kickstarter and most of the promotion. Um, so it's it's a it's a tag team, and um, and I'm like Iron Sheik, and he's uh, Hulk Hogan, and uh, and uh, you but, know but, we, but they we, fought we, each other. Well, they, they used to, they know they used to be enemies, and I think later on they became friends. I, I'm not a little I'm a little hazy on that, but uh, I, have to I think you had one too many head to the turnbuckle, buddy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, and then how many people contributed or which designers contributed to the expansions and the scenarios and missions? Okay, so there's, there's uh, Jeff, you can clarify this better. I think there's about 30 to 35 so far. Um, they include Ken St. Andre, who did Tunnels and Trolls, um, Richard Garfield, uh, you know, obviously Magic the Gathering. Um, no, Andy's not that important. <laughs> uh, there's Anne Dupuis. Anne Dupuis is the RPG designer. Um, J.R. Honeycomb. Cut obviously Daryl did fantasy fantasy baseball with him. Um, that's that was fun working with him. Kevin Wilson, you know, pretty uh, a list uh, name there. Um, James Ernest has been involved in this. I mean, a lot of famous famous game designers and a lot of not so famous game designers who are just really really good mission designers um, have contributed missions, and it's been really fun to sort of work with them. But um, I'm, I mean, really, it's been Jeff has been cultivating these relationships for 15 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it, one of the great things about uh, my uh, overnight success over the last 20 years has been that <laughs> along the way I met a lot of uh, really cool people who who I have said from time to time, man, I just can't figure out why I can't break through. 
and uh, you know, and some really famous and popular guys, great designers and stuff. They say, yeah, well, you know, maybe it'll happen. And anyway, when uh, it was actually James Ernest's idea to get uh, to get to jump in and give some help on this, he said, you know, you could you got a lot of friends in the industry. See if you can add a little bling to your to your project and say, throw in a mission for me. And and uh, you know, it's the kind of thing that there's no way I could afford the day rate of all these guys. But right. because they're doing it as as friends, it's it's really nice to be able to uh, uh, get some spectacular stuff there. Also, I'd like to point out that because I've done most of the mission design myself, having different people come at it gives a real different perspective on what they think a mission should be like. And so it, it's fun for me to see, instead of uh, making the same kind of mission that I would make, I see what's this guy doing with it and try to make it still fit in the Battle Stations universe, but fit in a way that, that's unique to this designer. Yeah, that would be very interesting, very cool, to, and honoring that people would uh, play in your sandbox kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Uh, Joey, uh, yes. I, I first learned and met you via JR because his raving of his love uh, for Chaosmos. So yes. you you got to tell us a bit about uh, your game as well. I mean, you're you're spouting all these great things about Jeff's game, but you too are a designer of a great game. Tell us a little bit about Chaosmos. All right. So, yeah, I'm telling all my backers, well, you guys have got to watch this live. Okay, um, so Chaosmos started, I was a fan of a book called Interstellar Pig for 20 Ooh, years. That's a great book. Oh, yeah. So I, I've I been a fan it. of that book ever since I was a kid, and it it affected my life in ways that, I mean, it's kind of hard to overstate. I mean, it's it's about aliens, but it's not about aliens. It's about a kid growing up. It's all the, it's all the stuff that yeah. you want to read when you're a kid. And it's about adults not understanding. It's about kids knowing more than adults think they know. Yeah. So, so I designed a, a game based on this book, um, and uh, you know I played it for years. And just like everybody's, you know, created something when they were a kid, they had a lot of early promise. And then of course, you know, you you become a man, you put aside childish things. Except <laughs> that this game was so good that we just kept playing it. And my friends kept playing it. And even when I would put it aside for four or five years, I'd be in college and someone would say, man, whatever happened to that prototype game you? And I was like, oh, yeah, I, I've got it in my closet. So finally it followed me to L.A. I had my family mail, mail me my homemade copy um, when I moved to L.A. after college. This is, at this point, this is 15 years after I had built the first prototype at age 10. Right. The game still, is still exactly the same game that I designed when I was 10. Um, and then I played Cosmic Encounter and a couple other kind of real games, and I was like, oh, I have to, I have to work on mine a little bit more. It's, it's rolling two, <laughs> I mean, rolling two dice and then just moving that number of, of spaces uh, might have worked, you know, in like Monopoly, you right. know. Right. Then you saw other designs that Then I saw other yeah. designs, you know. <laughs> it's like, oh, Talisman, wow, I can go left or right, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. uh, so finally, uh, finally, I was actually inspired by uh, by a couple couple games. Um, to have action point allowance system, so I was like, oh man, three actions, I can move, I can move again, I can attack, I can move, I can control a new planet, and I can attack, or whatever I want to do, this is great. Right. Um, it changed everything, um, I designed, I redesigned the whole game in about 11 hours in a McDonald's parking lot at about 4 o'clock in the morning is when I finally finished, and uh, and yeah, so it's been an awesome experience, I brought it to, to uh, the Gamma Trade Show, and showed some industry people, and they didn't laugh me out of the show, and uh, I had a couple rejections from some companies, and I had one company make me an offer for it, but they said, yeah, throw out the aliens. It's got to be pirates. Throw out all the cool stuff, and we'll buy it from you um, for, you know, whatever it was. And I was like, ugh. Um, and so my sort of dreams were shattered, and then I met uh, Richard Bliss at that show, and cool. he was doing a talk about Kickstarter, which I had never heard of. I mean, this is like... This is embarrassing to say. This is like a couple years, two years, three years ago. I had never heard of Kickstarter, you know. Yeah, um, it's a new phenomenon. So, uh, so I just, I just did it the right way, you know. I studied the the blogs and the met people, and I did the whole thing about kick, how you do Kickstarter. Um, we launched, and I did a, about a hundred and thirty six thousand dollars on Kickstarter for my first Kickstarter. Amazing. So, uh, so yeah, that was a big deal for us, and you know, we were way too ambitious, you know, trying to do miniatures and what have you, but. Um, we were careful. I, you know, a couple friends of mine got involved. My friend Matt got involved, and uh, so yeah, so uh, that went to to retail stores. And I met uh, I, basically I met Jeff through another friend, and you know I brought my game out, and 
Uh, Jeff could probably tell you better than I can about that meeting. Yeah, well, th this was it was still in prototype form, and uh, because I've been in the industry for so long, I hear all the time people say, "Oh, try my game," and I do my best to be polite, and I'm going to try to give sure. kids some notes. And I play the game, and I'm just blown away with how good it is. And I'm thinking, wow, where did he come from? Because usually, I mean, not nine times out of ten, 99 times out of 100, sure. you see something good in there, but then they've made just basic mistakes like it's yeah. it's all roll and move or whatever. And, and you say, oh, how can I help you fix this? And, and you want to give them some advice and whatnot. And by the time I got around to really giving him any, uh, any good advice about the industry, his Kickstarter was up higher than all my Kickstarters put together had ever gotten, and I said, okay, well, I guess this kid knows some stuff. Very funny. Mm -hmm. Joey, I'm just showing some cards from the game here on screen right now. Um, let's talk about uh, just your workflow for being not only the designer, but the publisher, and running the Kickstarter yourself. How did you manage that, and how did you stop from going like completely insane? You you mentioned the word friends a lot. That a lot of friends jumped in and helped you out with things, and that's how you got connected with Jeff, and you're doing stuff with him. Do you think it's a case of many hands make lighter work? Would you have gone completely insane if you had to do everything yourself? Talk about your workflow. Okay. Well, I, I definitely have a unique perspective and everything, so I, I don't wouldn't want any of your viewers thinking that this is how it's normally done. That's it, you know everybody is different and everybody has a different way. I've always believed super strongly in the sort of auteur theory that if you have a vision and it has, especially if it's something that's really guided you for several years and it informs more than just uh, just gameplay, but it really you think about it. When you're not playing games, you, you know, it means something to you on a deeper level than just mechanics, then you're probably right, and don't get distracted from that vision. So uh, I take the game to parties. You know, The kind of parties I go to are not that exciting. It mostly involves us carrying around a bunch of board games in our trunks, right? <laughs> but... Well, maybe it's exciting for us, but, but not exciting like for... like a board like, game party. <laughs> yeah. Right. But... Uh, but you know, you pull out your, your prototype, and when people don't make fun of that prototype, and they, they say, hey, you know, I really like this. I mean, my friend Matt played it for the first time, and within a few months, he had quit a, a startup that he had, that that had $60,000 in, in, in sort of, uh, uh, like, some boost money or whatever from this thing. And he had all this stuff going on, and he just dropped it to, to, to join the game full time. He loved the game that much, and... Uh, that was inspiring to me, but I, I also knew not to get, uh, sort of, not to waver from my vision, and I'm, I'm just sort of like that. And so, hopefully, if you're passionate enough about that, then when you talk about it all the time, instead of people thinking, oh, God, there goes that guy who just talks about himself all the time, people actually get excited about it because people really like to be excited about things, and sometimes people have a lot of uh, energy and effort and, and skills to give, but for whatever reason, they're not at a time in their life when they have their own thing. Sure. So if you just inspire other people, you know, it just happens. People just become a part of your life. And so um, I hope that this is only answering the first part of your question, but I, I don't want to go on too long. But So when it comes to design and stuff, you know, I basically do it on my own. And when people play test it and offer advice, I try it all. But ultimately, I have to remember what was it that inspired me from the beginning. And I try not to worry about mechanics. I, that's something I'm very, very passionate about, is not worrying about mechanics, not being excited about mechanics, never worrying about that stuff, just always trying to think, well, when I play this game when it's done, obviously I'll be sitting at a table. So I start from that perspective, and I think, okay, are there going to be cards in my hand? Maybe, maybe, maybe not, and it's sort of this amorphous uh, sort of cloud. And I say, okay, well, I'm interacting with people. So there's secret information. I can't tell them secret information or I'm going to, you know, weaken my position. So it starts and then you basically sort of build out from there. And in my case, I, like I said, I was inspired by, by the sci-fi book. So whenever I wasn't sure which direction to take it, I could always go back to the source material and, and be in, I mean, it's, it's different than the book, but be inspired by those same childhood feelings. Mm -hmm. um, so that's sort of my philosophy um, it's changed a little bit since I met Jeff because Jeff is very different um, in his philosophy, but uh, but we're we're able to be friends despite our differences. <laughs> yeah. yeah, despite the whole Iron Sheik Hulk Hogan thing. So Jeff, on that note, tell us about your workflow and 
tell us about how long you've been in the industry, how long it took you to get your first game from idea to publication, and how your workflow might have changed over the course of your career. Uh, well, early on in my career, I, for a very brief time, I stopped playing other people's games because I didn't want to taint my ideas. I wanted to have to be a fresh canvas, which I now realize was just utterly ridiculous because the more you know, the more you know what to do, what not to do, and, and so trying to reinvent stuff from zero was, was a bad plan. Uh, my first published credit was in, uh, uh, I think, 85 or 86 in Uncle Albert's Auto Duel catalog for... Uh, yes! <laughs> which, which, uh, which weapon or thing did you make? Uh, I did the, uh, the Mind Flinger. Yes! You the the mind, you're the Mind Flinger guy? I'm the Mind Flinger guy. Oh, awesome. <laughs> I love the Mind Flinger. I'm, I was I'm totally first... blown away. I've always been a Frisbee fan, and oh, so I, I, I said, you know, you could just throw them out there like a Frisbee. Do you know so, how many years, like literally years, that I've spent reading uh, Uncle Albert's catalogs? Oh, I yeah. I love those things. Those things that are the some good stuff. Yeah. Well, when, his, the, when Steve Jackson's first catalog came out, I went through it and made sort of a riff on what he had there and made over 100 ideas and sent it in thinking, okay, he's going to publish my book. And what he did was sent me a check for $25 and which five of my ideas he was using, uh, which the, the – uh, the industry standard then, and I think now might be, if you send something in unsolicited, he says it's he's just going to take it and use it, and that's that. So, wow. uh, so I mean, I was happy. I, I was happy to get published, but I was also thinking, I'm not the author of this book. I got you know 25 bucks for five kind of cute ideas, and I had no idea I was going to meet you 25 years later and get to be excited about it. <laughs> so. Um, uh, that was my first lesson in kind of you want to control your own property. Right. Uh, yeah. But having said that, it's it's great to have that experience and the the act of just working on those ideas helped to to uh, kind of hone my chops for later on when I'm doing special abilities for battle stations or whatnot. Sure. And uh, the first thing I published was the uh, uh, ninth generation. Uh, it's the only thing, if I Google myself, it's the only thing that shows up in Wikipedia is that I'm the author of ninth generation of uh, post-apocalyptic uh, role-playing game. And it was uh, it was really tedious. I had an action point system where it took more time to swing a sword than a dagger, that kind of thing. And I mean, it, it, it was, for what it was at the time, it was interesting, but, you know, that's part of the process that I went through really... Opposite sure. from Joey coming through a, a real steeped in the mechanics, kind of trudging through the trenches thing. Uh, and that's one thing that I really like about Joey's uh, uh, way of looking at things, not just Chaosmos, but the other stuff that he's working on. Oh, yeah, don't, that, don't, yeah. Sorry, I, I just don't, yeah, I signed, I made sense. I know, I know. Okay. I, okay. But the, the other stuff that he's working on is that he says it's about how you want the players to feel. He doesn't care whether it's going to be about dice or cards or whatever, but it's it's the situation that you're creating is the interaction between the players, and uh, that's really an important. I think it, it's more important than some of the uh, the the mechanical innovations that he has in his games. Is just the idea that really to come at it about how the people feel about it, rather than okay, we've got these we've got these things we've got to control. Let's control them. Right. Very cool, very cool. Well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna bounce back to Joey. I'm uh, gonna um, kind of pick your brain here a little bit about again. We're talking workflow, we're talking design, we're talking publishing, all these different hats. I'm curious if you could walk through for you um, some advice that you would give to new designers when it comes to being realistic about designing games, and especially. Are we at last question already? No, <laughs> no, like no. Last question. No, no, but uh, I just what I want to get into actually is specifically managing multiple projects. Do you work on one game at a time? Do you work on multiple games at a time because you're working with different people? How do how do you manage that kind of stuff? Or you know, and what would you advise uh, new designers? Uh, well, thank you for uh, flattering me as if I'm Mr. Professional. I I so right now I I have four games that are definitely coming out that and all four of them are 
from different publishers, and that includes Battle Stations, and I'm, I just did a couple a mission or two for that book, but uh, but including Battle Stations, I'm working on four different uh, published or soon to be published games, um, and that doesn't include my own company, Mirrorbox Games. So it, there's it's a lot of chaos in my life right now, and as far as the designs I'm working on, um, I. I have so many. I have 22. I had to add it up before the before the show. Because if I don't write down the name, if I ha don't have a name for the game, it becomes lost forever in my mind. And so I have a folder on my computer that says game design. And each folder, uh, there's there's 20 folders in that folder with the name of the game. And whenever I have more than just the name, I add you know the the rule book or whatever it is that I'm working on or the the prototype components. Um, my brain is very chaotic, and it causes problems for me because, um, you know, I'm, I'll be working on a Kickstarter, and certain things just kind of fall off the, the edge of the world, and then all of a sudden I'll get an angry email saying, we have a contract, where's our game? And I'll say, <laughs> and I'll say I, I literally forgot I was working on that. Um, you know, it, it, uh, it's, it's kind of easy to design games um, under fire if there's money involved, but I think that's also a way to design a bad game. The, the best way to design a game, I think, is, I don't, again, I, I don't start with a mechanic, I don't start with even a theme, it, it really comes down, I, I start with a feeling, and um, I try to figure out what it is about that feeling that I can do in the game. And uh, so I, I wouldn't advise people to design a certain way or a different way. I think whatever works for them, probably. Um, I, my life is utter chaos. I, it's just utter. I mean, my, my room is a disaster. My dishes are not clean. My clothes are dirty. It, my brain is just utter chaos. But luckily, I have balancing elements in my life that kind of keep me sane. So... To answer your question about sanity, I I am sane, but sometimes I don't come off that way to the people around me because I have so many different ideas bouncing around at once. No, that's that's good stuff. That's good stuff. And uh, like you said, for you, that's how you design. And some people are going to really connect with that. Some people that might sound like hell. Well, and uh, hey, uh, right now, Hack is saying that sounds like me. Yeah, that that definitely sounds like you, Hack. I, uh, that uh, he is a, another prolific designer working on a million projects at the same time. So uh, anyone who doesn't know uh, Odd Hackwelder, he is uh, especially a variety of card games uh, designer, American designer living in Taiwan at the moment, and uh, a great supporter of our show. I was uh, just in Taiwan uh, uh, earlier this year in January. Oh, really? We'll have to connect you with, with Hack. He's a great guy. Yeah, uh, Jeff. Jeff. He Jeff actually got back from Taiwan the night before his Kickstarter launched. <laughs> just nice. in time. Just in time. Just in time. Nice. Well, Jeff, I'm a little curious. I want to dig a little bit back into your roots because you do have a variety of design credits, and I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about how some of your other games uh, came about, and if you have any stories. Uh, connected with the origins of some of those games, how how they were born, how you came up with them. What was your creative process like? Well, um, Lifeboat is probably my most uh, famous game, and now other than Battle Stations. And that one had its origins. Uh, the mechanic of it, the love and hate mechanic, just to real simple, you get points for surviving, points for your secret love surviving, and points for your secret hate not surviving. And um, we had been playing a lot of Magic the Gathering, and uh, when you have multiple players, you have some screwy rules about uh, who would win and, and uh, you know, how, how do you determine it? Everybody gangs up on somebody. So I said, oh, everybody have this secret card for who they love, and you'll subtract their life points, or you add their life points to your score at the end, and you subtract the life points of the person you hate from the end. So it was a little cap system uh, that I used to, to make magic interesting. And that was in 95 or 96 or so. And then I, I left that aside, and then in about 2000, I said, wouldn't it be interesting to be on a lifeboat? Oh, on a lifeboat, you'd have people you love and hate. And so I just took that mechanic that I built for you know us to play around with magic and turned it right into the lifeboat mechanic. And uh, uh, that was really a, the most fun design process because it all fell into place. And I said, what would happen if you had oars? Well, oars you can use to row. And uh, what, what's going to happen on the boat? Well, somebody's going to fall overboard and take some damage. So the, the mechanics really kind of followed the theme of what you're thinking about what it's like to be on a lifeboat. 
And then who would be on the lifeboat? Well, you'd, you'd have the captain and the first mate and the, the rich couple and the kid and the guy named Frenchie. And so it's, it just all it, – it just came together almost like somebody else was telling me about the game. And so uh, that was really great. And I also have noticed that I don't get as enough sleep as I probably need, so I get most of my best thinking done when I wake up in the morning because I feel like that's when my brain is fresh. Fresh. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, can I just say, it's usually about 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning when I start working. <laughs> and why is that? Why is that, Joy? Is this is game design a side thing to a real job? Is is it that no. your brain starts being more creative at that time? Yeah, I, I I mean I know the answer, and it it, it basically it makes it it makes me look like I have a developmental problem. But it, essentially, <laughs> um, my brain takes in so much data at once that I can't slow it down, and it it only gets quiet when the world is sleeping. And so it's not like I get up early. I wish I was one of those early guys who gets up early and starts doing yoga. And... No, you don't, because then you'd be like my mortal enemy. Right. <laughs> you don't want to be my mortal enemy. No. Um, it's more like I, you know, I, I used to work in the film business as, a, as an editor. I've done a lot of documentaries and stuff like that. But the truth is I did not like having, uh, I didn't feel like I had enough control over the creative projects and I was wasting my talents and people would come to me and say Joey this is brilliant what you're what you're giving us it's horrible it's too brilliant it's not what we want you're fired this has happened multiple times um, and they would always use like really hyperbolic words like it was never oh this is not what we want it would always be like this is art we don't want that and so they were very nice they were very supportive but I would get, I would lose my job because I, I could not give them. I'm sorry, no offense to Big Brother, but I couldn't give them Big Brother. I couldn't do it. That's not what I'm built for. Um, so I don't have a day job. Um, I, I hustle. I go to conventions. I meet publishers. I pitch them ideas. Um, I've been hired twice now. Um, I wanted to meet a TV producer because um, he was really, really seemed like a really cool guy, so I just told everyone I knew, hey, do you know this guy? Does anybody know this guy? Anybody know this guy? And eventually um, got through, and, you know, so that's how I sort of make my... I, I hustle, um, and I get hired to do games for them. And it's pretty new. I mean, it really started within the last six months um, that I'm able to kind of do this. And it's a pretty difficult living, but, oh, my gosh, my life is... It's bordering on perfect because I have complete creative control of every, on everything I do, I'm totally fulfilled um, mentally, and that turns out to be the most important thing, I think, in life. And, you know, I, you know, if I go a few days without eating, I'll say, oh, I forgot to eat. I've been game designing. Um, I, I might need medication, but I, <laughs> but I don't take it, and I'm, I'm really, really happy. And so at, at 4 o'clock in the morning, when the world goes to sleep, I, I'm still wired. And I work all night, and then I'm still up in the morning, and uh, at some point I sleep. <laughs> yeah, that sounds exactly like me, to be honest. Uh, yeah, I don't sleep much similar. at all. Uh, and so I go to my day job, um, and I teach all day, and I like it. I love, I love the students. I love teaching. And then I come home at night, and I work until I basically fall asleep at my desk. Um, I rarely remember to eat unless, you know, I've cooked a whole lot. And this is actually, Daryl, this is kind of funny because Daryl knows how much I love cooking. He does. This is why I like to cook is because if I don't cook, I will forget to eat. I know that. I know so that for a fact from personal I experience. I need to actually think about food in order to consume it. Daryl knows, like, learn, I, I will go I to, through conventions. I had to learn that because when I'd be at your house, I'd be like, why is this guy not offering some food? And then I realize, because he doesn't even think about it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think, I don't, I sustain, I sustain myself on ideas. I think I eat ideas. Do you guys know what Soylent is? Like Soylent, Soylent Green? Green? So I guess they don't sell it in Canada yet. But it's, it's basically, uh, it was a startup, it was like a Silicon Valley startup where they were using the Silicon Green, like, name to get, like, a bunch of mainstream right. attention. Like, ooh, surprise, that's the name. But it's basically... They just take a bunch of like rice flour and oats and you know seaweed and one of every single mineral or whatever, and they mix it together and you mix it up with water and you drink it and that's your total food. It's your complete meal replacement. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, <laughs> right. I've done right. stuff like and, that before for sure. And so, uh, 
this is a big part of it. It's a, it's, I'm, t- I'm telling you, for like hardcore game designers, this might be for you because it, it, it is life altering. It is life, it's mind altering, guys. We might need to get you a sponsorship. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say, yes. you need, you need the, the hat or the, no, the it's, sleeve. It's, it's great. It's, it's a really, really great thing. It's because if you don't eat, then you're basically killing yourself. But Pretty if you much. drink this stuff, it may not be the healthiest thing in the world, but it's way healthier than whatever you were going to be eating. Probably, know? yeah. Yeah, so next on the show will be Soylent, maybe. <laughs> uh, Jeff, um, in your process, in your overarching whole thing, is this the only profession that you have right now? Have you interspersed game design with other things, and how did you manage the workflow there? Well, uh, over the years, I have done various things. I've been a, a lifeguard. I was a substitute teacher for LA Unified for a while. Um, various things, and it, at various times, depending on whether the business, the game business, is waxing or waning, uh, I've taken on odd jobs. I, I uh, nannied somebody's kids for a while, and so uh, it, it's one of those things that when the the money's coming in, then it's great, and I, you know, I can. My my wife's a teacher, and so she's the big breadwinner of the family. Um, that might change if with battle stations now really making more of a, a headway into uh, into people's knowledge. So uh, what I would do is uh, literally while I was at school uh, on my lunch break, I was typing into a Newton, typing rules for battle stations, and that was Newton. That's like that's like hardcore old. Yes. Awesome. Yes. Uh, <laughs> My buddy Neil Softy got gave me his old Newton and said, "Here, you got to use this. These are great. This was in 2002 or something." And so <laughs> I had a little keyboard typing away at it. Um, and I think, yeah, I think it was before 2002, right? It was probably before uh, 2002. Well, it was before 2002 when I had when I did my first work on it. But I was it was 2001 or 2002 when I was doing the work on the Newton. Right. It, it might have been before the Newton even. Um, so uh, and also uh, my my daughters now are 11 and 14. They were. I was working the deal for uh, uh, Lifeboat, getting it printed by Cardamundi because Cardamundi printed Magic: The Gathering at the time, and so I said, "Oh well, I want to be printed by that. I want to use that same quality printer." So there I am, changing my daughter's poopy diaper with the phone crooked under my ear as I'm talking, making an eight thousand dollar deal to get a, a card game printed. And so, <laughs> it being a stay-at-home dad, uh, really it it had some challenges, but also some flexibility because. I didn't have to be there, uh, you know, in a classroom. I could I could take that call and, and work out those things. So I find that the the life really gives you a lot of lessons that you can use to learn about being a game designer. And the fact that I've worked at a recreation and parks department and I've worked in restaurants and I've worked in a climbing gym and all these things that have helped me see more of the world and more of the business world. A true that, renaissance man. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that, that gives me a little insight into all those areas so that when I'm trying to make a rule about what's it like to run a retail shop, then I'll say, oh, well, we got to have staffing and we got to have this and that. And then you decide how much of that you're going to abstract and how much of that you're really going to uh, you know, get the nuts and bolts right. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm curious, just to follow that up, Jeff, with you, um, what's next? What are, uh, what are some designs that you're, you're working on or you'd like to be working on in the, in the near or uh, far future? Well, the very next thing is that at Palaces, which I worked on last year and it's just about to uh, come back from China, uh, is a deck-building bidding game. And that's something that I had been working on for about three or four years and finally got it right. And in, in this one, in most deck building games, you flush your hand at the end. And yep. in this one, you actually use your cards to bid. And so it has a, a, a different feel to it. A, a oh, cool. Mechanic. I love trick-taking games, so you yeah. got me hooked. Oh, good. So uh, that's one thing. And then a, the next thing that is sort of my holy grail that I've been working on is World Peace. That uh, It's a game that where players are playing different uh, nations, and each nation has their own challenges and their own resources. And yep. you, it's a cooperative, uh, it's not deck building, but it's a, a 
and you try to solve everybody's problems. And then this is the one that I am going to win the Nobel Peace Prize for gaming for. There <laughs> That'd we go. be awesome if there was one. Well, they're going to have to invent one for me for this. There you go. That's yeah, cool yeah. I like it. I like pave the way for us, and then we'll just follow your footsteps. It's like, and then we held hands, but on a global level. On a global yes. level. The world will actually play the game and be a better place. Yes. I love it. Uh, Joey, uh, you, you mentioned a few things that you can't talk about that you're working on, but I'm yeah. curious. Uh, actually, uh, you mentioned you're a hustler. You you you, you go to shows. Uh, I I'm curious. This upcoming year, what shows are you going to go to, and what shows do you think all designers need to be at, and why? Well, yeah, it's tough to answer that because I think it really depends on where you're at. Uh, you know, if I don't mean location-wise, where where you are in your design, it what you really once your design is great, then you really only need to be at, in my opinion, um, the Gamma Trade Show, which is not open to the public. It really is for for making deals and meeting up with retailers and stuff. Um, so you know, I went to um, Origins last year and it had a blast. Played a ton of games, but it wasn't a hugely profitable show for me. Gen Con is the big one. You have to go to Gen Con. It's it's a it was a blowout success for us every year we've been. Um, and also, it's fun to play crazy, epic-sized versions of battle stations there. Um, I also went to Essen, had a blast. That was, I think, profitable for us. And uh, and Board Game Geek Con. Board Game Geek Con is, like, for me, it's that's, like, the best. I mean, I make a profit. I have fun. I hang out with my friends. I, I went bumper car riding with Eric Lang a few months ago, the, the last one. It was awesome. Awesome. So... Uh, yeah, no. So those are the ones that I go to. But I mean, people say that you, ha if, you know, if your if your design isn't done, you should probably be going to like Metatopia or one of these design ones. People say they love packs, and I, you know, I go to my local con, Strategicon here in LA. Um, but the only one you really, I, I think, you have to go to if you want to be a publisher, if you want to move into publishing, is, in my opinion, the Gamma Trade Show because it's small enough that you can meet everybody. And because there aren't people running around playing games, it's just industry people, it's easier to get meetings. P people are like, who are you? What are you asking for again? You're like, I, d I don't know anything. They were really nice. You know, at the first one I went to three years ago, three or four years ago, the first person I met was this smiling guy named Kurt Covert who, who, who runs Smirk and Dagger Games. And yep. I, I didn't even know I was pitching him a game. We were just talking about games, and all of a sudden I was playing my game for the first time with someone other than my friends and it was a publisher who was sitting there weighing in whether he should make an offer i mean it's like crazy to me now to think i was i was such a such a naive kid <laughs> um but uh but it was great and i i made a, a bunch of friends at that show and and uh a bunch of really really important connections that paid off uh years later when i had offers from some of these guys um and uh so that, I really think the gamut ratio is great, but you you can't go prematurely. You really have to know, I'm in this for real. This is going to be like, I'm going to spend money. I'm going to get a booth. I'm not going to pretend like this is just a fun hobby. I'm going to put money into this. And um, you have to go through playtesting and make sure it's not just your friends and family that like this game. Strangers have to like this game. And then maybe, maybe you're ready. Yeah. Well, I, I want to interrupt at... Joey's talking about being a publisher, but you, uh, most people should not be publishers. That uh, that you'll want to go to the Gamma Trade Show, uh, that's a great place to go, or, or PAX or someplace like that, and find a publisher who's interested in your game, because uh, learning about game design takes a whole raft of skills, and then learning about publishing is another uh, directly related but slightly different set of skills. Absolutely. And, so if, if and, you kick, drop and ball, Kickstarter is a whole other one, if you do Kickstarter. Yes, um, I, I, yeah, that's true, Jeff. I, 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 that's totally true. But I will say that it seems like the people who get their games sold are not the people who show up wide-eyed with one design. Um, it's so true. easy to, to sell your game to the industry. I mean, it's like unbelievably easy. You just have to know everybody, and people know that you make good games, and then they're more excited to give your next game a serious consideration. If you show up with, you know, like... You know, fantasy characters playing baseball or something. You know, people are going to laugh in the room. Horrible right. idea. <laughs> who who would make a game like that? I, I think you're right in a lot of ways, Joey. Uh, Gamma is actually where we signed our first game as well. Um, in that, you do have to show up and kind of put your money where your mouth is in terms of walking the walk, talking the talk, and being a serious person 
uh, as a game designer because a lot, and we, we say this a lot to people that you're not only selling your design, you're selling yourself because mm-hmm. the publishers need to work with somebody and they'd much rather hopefully work with you as the designer of the game than with some other random developer that really doesn't know the nuts and bolts as well as you do. And so if you're selling yourself as a designer, as somebody who can help develop, somebody who is generally just helpful and communicative and willing to change things and willing to work towards a better product, uh, getting in front of the publishers is so important. And that's something they can't really tell from a cold call or uh, just an email pitch or anything like that. So getting in front of people is really important. Um, Joey, uh, you say you're a hustler, and I've watched you work booths. Uh, I've interviewed you at your booth. How do you manage the convention lifestyle? It's it's like flying places and logistics and all that kind of stuff. How does workflow come into there for you? Uh, yeah, I, first of all, I would never... if so. If you are a publisher or want to be a publisher, that's obviously different. Um, it's possible to hustle shows without a booth, but if you don't have a home base, then you know you get off the plane with your luggage, and you don't even know where to put your luggage. Like if you go to Gen Con, if you don't like, if you don't have it all sort of figured out in advance, it's it's really going to be a nightmare. I recommend having a partner, a business partner, to to do all this with. Um, at the very, very, very minimum, having a business partner. And then if you don't have that, at least have a mentor, someone that has done this before, someone you've met at another, at another show just as, a, just as a gamer, or um, someone you meet online that can become friends with, and then when you arrive at the show, they introduce you to everybody. Oh, this is Bill. He's the new designer in town. You know, I played his game. It's great. That kind of thing goes a long way because the first thing you'll discover is, okay, well, now you're at a show. Uh, you're starving, you're exhausted, there's no place to put your stuff, and nobody wants to talk to you, and everybody's relatively polite, but all these meetings that you're planning on having are all booked. I mean, everybody sets these these meetings up in advance, months in advance sometimes, and it's all professionals who already know other professionals. Why would they be available suddenly to hear your, your pitch, which is probably not going to be that good, honestly, because you don't you don't even know how to pitch yet. So the best thing you can do right now is this awesome thing that's been happening in the last you know couple years. It's called publisher speed dating, and uh, James Matthew used to run it. And I, I can't remember who. I think Scott Gaeta from uh, Renegade Studios mm-hmm. does it now. But uh, yeah, you you sign up a couple weeks in advance. They charge you a nominal fee, which is essentially free. They just want to make sure that you're going to show up. Um, and then you get five to seven minutes to pitch your game to about fifteen publishers. Um, I've been on both the receiving and the pitching end of this, and it is a great experience. I, I had the illustrious experience of having, I won't name names, but really, really, really great, uh, well-known publishers just totally turned off by my, my pitch uh, <laughs> for, for Chaosmos. And, nice. and then the same people later said, I want you to know I played your game, and it was incredible, and you must be just the worst pitcher ever. <laughs> Um, love it. Love it. So, yeah, so that's something I learned. You know, just having passion doesn't mean you're not going to come off like a crazy person. And no, you, you, you always, people always think that they know what the publisher wants. People always say, "Oh, everyone's going to like my." I, I watched this awesome documentary. The next, I think it's called the, the Next Great American Game Designer or something like yeah, that. Yeah, um, Doug Moore. That is that is an incredible, incredible movie. Because in my, you know, I think most people watch this movie and they think, "Oh." The hero is this guy, right, who's, who's having trouble selling his game. But to me, he was a supervillain. He was just an evil, horrible, crazy person because he, he didn't listen. He thought he knew he could just come into their world, the, the game world, and pitch to them, and they're idiots because they weren't listening to him. Totally. The, the truth is, he, they're doing him a massive favor. They're, they're letting this guy come into their world, that, of which he's totally ignorant and unwilling to learn. And... They're sitting down with him. I mean, watching yeah. watching people like Kurt Covert um, in the movie just be incredible and, and just incredibly and patient, offering ways to change, and you're just screaming at the screen, "Listen, to right. us. listen, listen!" <laughs> and I, I I saw that movie because at Board Game Geek Con I, I met the subject, and and he hadn't he hadn't learned. <laughs> it was crazy. He's, he's moved on a little bit from it, but yeah. Okay, yeah. so 
Um, and and it wasn't even that there was a specific problem with his game. It was that you couldn't even give feedback. He didn't want feedback. He just wanted to sell your to sell the game to you and whatever. And it was a very confusing experience. the The reality is the industry is incredible. It, I, I left the film world because I, like I said, I, I felt creatively stifled. I felt like I the me doing my absolute top notch work did not net enough money to live on. But if I sort of sold my creativity down the down the tubes, I could make a really nice living working in reality television, and I didn't want to do that. And I didn't need to do that, honestly. So as far as hustling goes, to answer your question, Sen, oh, yeah. arrive at the show, arrive at the hmm. show, uh, you've already basically programmed your schedule in advance. All these people you've met online, you've been a member of Board Game Geek, you've been a member of the Facebook groups like the uh, Card and Board Game Designer Guild and the Kickstarter Best Practices, you know, Lessons Learned uh, group if you're going to eventually kickstart it. You meet all these people online and you follow them all on Twitter and you meet up at the show and you game and you just game and you don't pitch them anything. You just try to figure out what is this world really like and then you have them introduce you to their friends, and half their friends are going to turn out to be publishers. Every single publisher, even if they say they're not, is looking for the next great game. So Fantasy Flight might say, oh, well, we don't accept outside submissions. Okay, maybe you don't, but i, I got to say I'm going to brag a little bit. Um, when when Chaosmos came out, I got a totally unsolicited uh, uh, geek mail from Corey Kaneshka saying, your game is awesome. And I, like, pretty much dropped my computer on the ground. It's like, <laughs> I mean, like... I mean, this is one of my favorite designers in the world, and to me, he's like a celebrity. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. So, um, any company, any company wants your game if it's if it's a good fit, if it fits their product line, if it fits the theme that they're looking for. Um, sometimes they're looking for a game that's maybe the same genre, but they they can't release your game because they've already you know you know paid for another game that's a similar genre, whatever it is, and sure. it doesn't mean that they don't like you. And in fact, most of them will walk you three booths down and introduce you to their friend who's also yep. looking for the next great game. It's so easy. Everyone just has to clear their expectations and join this new uh, mysterious, uh, wonderful world of Oz or whatever it is. <laughs> it's different than you're imagining, but it's not that difficult to navigate. You just have to change your expectations and try to be less about me, 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 me. I want everyone to do something for me. See how you can affect the industry. You want to do something amazing for the industry? Be a good gamer. Make a lot of friends, and your game will sell, for sure. Interesting. That's a really interesting perspective. I like how you said, you know, go and just play games. Don't try to sell the game. Just play games, and everything else will naturally kind of fall into place. Now, was your experience similar, Jeff? This is going to be... Oh, sorry. Uh, Joey, you've already kind of answered the last question, but this is sort of the last question for you, Jeff, in terms of advice that you would give to a new designer, with all of the experience that you've had, what's the one single piece that you would give them in terms of managing workflow or going to conventions and finding people and whatnot? What do you think, Jeff? What's that one piece of advice you'd give? Uh, play your game. Play your game with people who haven't played it before. Play other games and play with playing your game. That that you really have to just be open about it and see where it's going. And um, unless you have a deadline that somebody's got a contract signed that you have to have a game by Monday, then uh, you can you can really just make your your game at your own pace. And if things aren't working out right, set it aside and come back to it later. Uh, so really, it's it's have fun and and be ready to learn and be ready to to grow. Love it. Excellent advice there. Uh, I, I want to just uh, say thank you both to Jeff and Joey for taking the time to hang out with us, share your experiences, your wisdom. Uh, I know our, our viewers are loving what you're saying, and, uh, and I look forward to hearing the responses from our viewers that don't watch live, that watch a little later. I want to say a little special thanks to David Tomei for... Uh, ripping our videos into audio so that you can find them on iTunes as well. So if uh, you want to listen to these, um, you can find us there, or you can find us on YouTube, and feel free to binge watch or pick and choose your, your favorite designers and see uh, what they have to say, what kind of advice they're going to give. Um, again, we, uh, we 
usually do an after show, so we might uh, do a quick after show after this. I'm not sure if uh, Jeff and Joey will be part of that, but uh, I just want to say thank you to our fans, our supporters, and also to our sponsors. Uh, Thanks for believing in us, and uh, we hope that uh, you keep making good games because we look forward to playing them soon. All right, on that note, signing out, Meeple Syrup Show. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.